Welcome to Leaders Recon, where we discuss leadership, warrior skills, and other unique opportunities within the G3 leader development branch. Today we're talking about a subject which is near and dear to my heart, H2F, with none other than Captain Short, the program manager, I guess, for H2F across the 54 here. Yeah, for right now at least, yeah. 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 So I guess it's been a while since we've done one of these uh, podcasts and you've been pretty busy. Can you give us kind of an overview of like where does H2F stand today? Yeah, definitely. So. Um, there's been a lot going on and, uh, you know, there was a lot of pre-work that really went into getting to this point. Um, so in FY20, we did a ton of market research. We actually traveled the country to get with a lot of the leaders in industry and academia to figure out what was out there for the Guard and uh, what opportunities were going to be available as we worked through this problem set. And, you know, initially it was kind of determined that, that hey, look, the active component model is just not going to work for the Guard. Um, that's more of a green suitor solution. Facilities-based, um, you know, you have a captive audience more times than not. So, you know, right off the bat, we said, okay, we have to, we have to know what we're working with and see what's out there. So, we uh, we traveled the country. We went and saw you know, multiple sites uh, that are working in the human performance optimization realm. And then uh, so worked with some cool people, right? Like, yeah, we've uh, we've talked to um, you know whether it be pro sports, you know, large universities and, and colleges, and and we've gotten to see. Um, a lot of really great uh, solutions to this exact problem. And so, you know, really the narrative then became that we don't need to recreate the wheel here. We just need to jump on the wagon that's already rolling. And so that really positions us in a place where as we started looking at it, we thought maybe we were at a disadvantage with H2F implementation. I think now the, the consensus is and the vision is that we can be leaders in innovation for coming up with all these different solutions and all these different ways to tackle the problem and we can be the conduit for innovative solutions to to help facilitate the h2f program across the army and really human performance optimization across the dod so um, so yeah so getting into where we're at now is basically uh fy21 is a planning year so there's project officers and ncos in all the 54 states and territories and they are working on their state-specific needs or addressing and determining what those state-specific needs are, conducting the analysis on how to address those, and then coming up with solutions, which basically gives us their requirements to implement H2F in the out years. So at the end of this fiscal year, we're gonna collect all that data, build it into an Army National Guard-wide requirement, and we'll report that up to Army senior leaders so that they can make a determination as to how we're going to fit into the greater H2F scheme and, and plan. So it sounds like you're doing a lot of data analysis right now, but you know, what are some of those, I guess, emerging tools that are available to leaders you know, that are looking to scale up how they're integrating H2F within their formation? Yeah, so there's basically four courses of action that this all comes down to. So the first one is commercial off-the-shelf solutions with contracts. So that's going out and, and finding companies and, and businesses that are basically already tackling this exact problem for whether it be, you know, Fortune 500 companies or maybe they, they work with sports teams. Um, but, you know, those vendors, those commercial off-the-shelf solutions are kind of a one-stop shop to come in and, and more or less run your H2F program. So that's one course of action. The next course of action is partnerships or contracts with colleges or universities. Um, what we've found as we've delved into the, the collegiate, you know, atmosphere is that there is a strong appetite to to work with the army national guard work with soldiers because it's mutually beneficial so not only does it help the state 
implement H2F as a program, but it gives their students hands-on time to actually practice their craft before they get out to the field. And, you know, they have all the resources uh, at their fingertips, whether it be for data analysis or equipment or anything like that. So that's an exciting opportunity as well. Uh, the third course of action is maybe like a regional provider network. So maybe there's some sort of uh, network that's available in your region that provides services or maybe as a contract solution or you know a facilitator for you to, to find solutions that work for your state. And then the last one is basically a hybrid. So you know if you look at your large states like California, Texas, one commercial off-the-shelf solution may not be able to service the whole state. There's a lot of soldiers there. So maybe for a portion of the state or maybe for like if you're looking at their RSP, they might go with a commercial off-the-shelf solution for that. But in other parts of the state, they may go with a partnership with a college or university. Um, and then on top of that, they may have contracts with whether it be for equipment or you know wearable devices or data analysis. So I think the hybrid solution is probably going to be a fit for most. But uh, some other states are finding you know, as we'll see shortly, are finding exciting solutions across all those courses of action. Yeah, so as you alluded to, we're getting ready to bring on several states that, that each are doing these different courses of action that you mentioned. Before we, I guess, dive into those discussion with, uh, you know, those subject matter experts across the country, you know, what are some real world practical examples that you can give us of like, hey, here's how, you know, from your foxhole, H2F has been started to be implemented or is being implemented in, you know, a unit. And these are some of the, you know, real world results or benefits that we're seeing from it. Yeah. So, um, you know, as you said, we're going to talk to some of these states in a minute, but we'll talk to Massachusetts, um, who they've gone with a commercial off the shelf solution. And that company that they've partnered with is called O2X. And as you'll see shortly, they are getting not only the statistical data that proves that, hey, we are seeing an increase in ACFT, APFT pass rates, we're seeing a decrease in height weight, um, failures, we're seeing um, you know, increased morale and, and mental wellness, all these different things. Um, and then they're also seeing the less tangible of soldier buy-in, people are excited about it, et cetera. Um, then you have some other states out there that are, you know, pursuing the college route. So you have like Connecticut is doing some work with their local colleges and universities. You have Georgia, who's, uh, they actually are working with multiple college and universities, or at least laying the groundwork for that. Um, and, you know, basically creating a network of colleges right there that is going to support their H2F program. And obviously with COVID and, and whatnot, some of yeah. that is, is uh, getting delayed a little bit, but that is the plan as they're rolling through it. And, um, you know, that I think the benefit that we're seeing from those states is that at the very least, even if they're not running the program for them, having that reach back to subject matter experts uh, has really empowered the states to make sure they're headed in the right direction as they implement their, their programs. Um, and then with, you know, some of these states are doing internal programs on their own, which are more of a hybrid model. So they're saying like, hey, we're going to create um, a POI, we're going to hire, you know, contractors maybe to fill some positions, or maybe we'll bring some people on ADOS orders or put some AGRs in there. Um, and so like Kentucky, Connecticut, again, you know, they're more of a hybrid, but they created a program of their own supported by a college or university. Um, Washington State, they're going to talk to us about how they did the same thing. And, uh, you know, they're seeing success as a, as a grassroots campaign uh, because it's built around whatever their specific needs are and, 
um, you know, they get that soldier feedback and soldier buy-in that way. Um, so, you know, across the board, you know, we have about 20 states right now that are piloting different versions of H2F, whether they're, they're piloting a full-blown program or they're piloting an aspect of H2F, like a, like a wearable device or a data analysis app mm -hmm. or, or anything. So we use all of that information to then feed into, um, you know, the, the states and the country at large so that they can see, hey, what can I pull from for best practices to create my program? And really, you know, I think the, the hard part is making sure that we get everybody on board, but once they get everybody, once they get all their leadership on board and everybody moving in the same direction, uh, it's been widely positive um, and, and positively received by the soldiers. Well, and, and as you've mentioned before, like there's the benefits of H2F are beyond like, I feel like, you know, a lot of people, including myself, think H2F, we think ACFT, we think that physical fitness, but, you know, we're getting ready to talk to these folks and, and I'm sure they'll talk about, you know, retention benefits. They'll talk about the wellness benefits from the health side as, as an individual, you know, in your application to civilian life. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, there's, it, it is easy to get caught up on H2F just being a physical fitness program and it's not that it, there's actually five pillars of it which cover everything from sleep nutrition you know mental wellness spirituality all that stuff and physical fitness so um yeah i think that it's important for everybody to know that this isn't just to increase your apft pass rates or your acft pass rates this is to empower your soldiers to reach their fullest potential give them access to subject matter experts you know 24 7 and give them all the tools that they need to be successful in uniform, out of uniform, and through retirement and beyond. And so um, the beauty of the position that we're in right now is that we don't need to implement the H2F this year, this FY. This is just a research and development year for the states to determine what they would need to implement H2F. So that way the senior leaders can actually say, okay, this is what this state needs. This is how much funding it will take for them to implement this program. Oh, and here's the why, you know, here's, you know. So what? Behind yeah. So they, they say, okay, well, why do they need this much money? Oh, well, here's their plan. And so really that's the, the, the focus this year. Um, some states, like we said, are, are piloting some stuff and that's great. And it's huge, a uh, huge data pool for us to pull from and best practices. Um, and that, that's been amazing. But all in all, this year is all about sitting down and saying, what do we need to do to address the, the data shortfalls and the hotspots and the, and the gaps that we have based on the analysis of the data. So I guess without further ado, we'll roll right into our first state, uh, Massachusetts, which is doing a contracting off the, off the shelf. Yep, commercial solution. off the shelf solution and uh, a lot of great feedback from them. And uh, I think everybody will, will be very interested in what they have to say. We're doing this one a little bit differently, bringing on some subject matter experts from the various states to talk about how they're implementing H2F, you know, following some of these things that you've mentioned. First up, we have Massachusetts with us, uh, Major Murphy. Welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having the team and I on. We're excited to share the great work that we're doing with our Warrior Resilience and Fitness um, here in the Commonwealth with the rest of the nation. So you've really taken like a different approach to this using contracts and you know third-party solutions. You want to kind of give us a little bit of a brief overview of what that uh, looks like right now? Sure. So 
we actually started our Warrior Fit, which stands for Functional Intensive Training, in FY18 with a workshop for 50 soldiers. And that was done in concert with our state leadership. And primarily the target audience there was individuals who required a waiver for reenlistment um, because they were not meeting either our height rate or our APFT standards at that time. It was a great success, but we also recognized that we wanted to be able to expand that offering to more individuals and eventually to our total force. That led us to applying for the Warrior Resilience and Fitness Innovation Incubator Funds in FY19. And we were funded that year and that allowed us to bring on additional folks and expand. So internally, we did two iterations of Warrior Fit in FY19. And towards the end of that year, we were able to use a contracting solution and found a local vendor who had an eat, sweat, thrive methodology um, that fit well with the H2F principles and total force fitness. And that allowed us to come up with a three-tiered model. Um, so we had still our individuals who received significant in-person instruction and peer mentor. When, then we also had the ability to do a sampling of the total force. And so we had about a fifth of the force that went through some different assessment screenings, both in person and virtually. And that gave us a better sense of where we were at internally in terms of all of the different total force fitness domains. And then we still had an, uh, a group of the total force, which was primarily uh, instructed by our program implementer at the time, which was Dr. Meg Garvey. And she was doing some in-person workshops with each individual unit as requested, as well as pushing out content through social media into our other um, tools through PAO, et cetera. Um, in FY20, we continued with that three-tier model, but we it became a joint program. Um, we started having the opportunity to include AIR as well. So um, we also expanded in FY20 to add a half-time registered dietitian, which was something based on the feedback we received from both our soldiers as well as leadership, an area with significant interest that we thought we could continue to expand upon. So I mean, I know that's you, you, like a little bit of a different approach there using those those third party solutions with contracting. How how did that work? Or you know, I know Captain Short, we talked about this a little bit with the like integrating foreign entities into the into the force, you know, how, how was that distracting for soldiers or what are your thoughts on that? I think that the professionals with O2X were uh, extremely flexible in kind of meeting our unit leadership as well as our soldiers and airmen kind of where they were at. Initially, we had to ensure that folks understood that this was a kind of a pilot program hopefully moving towards a, a program of record within our force structure and it wasn't an outside entity coming in to offer them uh, a service that they would then have to pay for that this was completely included within our program here in the commonwealth so um, once that hurdle was overcome we really had um some great success we have devin if you want to jump in here as well devin smith is our current program integrator here and sorry major societies if you want to speak from the leadership perspective We've had a lot of success with meeting with unit leaders and being invited to bring programming in at the small group team um, platoon company level. And then we're hoping with COVID mitigation 
efforts uh, that we'll be able to do some larger scale events later on in this year. Sure, and Devin Smith here, uh, program implementer, like uh, Major Murphy just mentioned. So I'm a strength and conditioning specialist uh, by, by trade. So uh, certified strength and conditioning specialist. And then my, uh, my cohort has registered dietitian. So what we've been doing at the unit level, uh, as far as implementation is, you know, we've been able to, to work with, with some of the full-time guardsmen and, and sort of develop some, some weekly, uh, ACFT familiarizations and, uh, and kind of just pushing further, uh, from a weekly daily basis where we can, and then for the, the traditional guardsmen, just doing more of the, um, virtual resources. So we've been able to integrate a little bit more on, uh, on IDC weekends. So we've been. Uh, attending ACFT diagnostic trainings and just really be able to implement uh, from there. Roger, I just want to speak just from the, the leadership uh, side of the house. So with the, this first started out, we did a really, really good job of advertising it and getting it to the command level so they knew what was going to happen and we knew what we we're going to going to be offering it to them. Um, every commander out there was was welcoming and having that subject matter expert into our units to help address our issues with readiness and fitness really, really went a long way over the past two years. All right, so um, I'm just gonna ask a few follow-up questions based on some of the information that you guys just gave us and uh, and feel free for anybody to chime in. One of the things I heard you talk about, what, which I think is actually a best practice and really something that's unique to the Guard is partnering with, with our Air National Guard uh, units out there. So, you know, a lot of states are Army and Air and both entities are looking for optimization and human performance. So if you could talk us through how that relationship has worked and, and maybe illustrate a, a little bit about how that's a best practice that other states could utilize. Sure. So here within our state, um, I'm my director of Warrior Resistance and Fitness, but Sergeant Major Societis on the Army side is our deputy director. And then last year we brought on Chief Master Sergeant Preston um, on the air side. Um, I think having two E9s as the leads has been a great kind of force multiplier for a really small program where this is an additional duty for all of us um, and allowing us to get some buy-in from our air side as well. Um, human forms optimization is not unique to the Army or the Air Force or the Navy. Uh, it, it's a human construct. We all want to do better, go longer, work harder. And human performance optimization across all of the different domains allows us as human beings and then us as warriors to do that. Um, our tag is, is Air Guard. Uh, his daughter is Army Guard. Uh, I think that helps us as well to identify that this is a total force. And when we say total force, we don't just mean Army. We mean Army and Air. We mean the entire Mass National Guard. And it's been well received in that manner. While we have different measures of how we look at items like physical fitness or height, weight, body composition. At the end of the day, we're looking for resilient individuals who know how to fuel their body for performance, who know how to sleep well and rest well, who know how to push their body physically and who can execute their job with the best cognitive performance that's available. That's pervasive across all of our forces. And I think Programs such as this allow us to execute that in, in a variety of different ways that will benefit us as individuals, as well as our military status and our communities and families back home. That's great. And so you hit on some of the stuff that 
you know, there's, there's kind of a two part question. So obviously what you're looking at is what is tangible as far, you know, and everybody's talking about right now with holistic health and fitness, what's the return on investment? That's the big concern. So obviously you're seeing uh, hard tangible data that says, hey, this is a successful program and, and that's how you're evaluating and those measures that you're using. So one, you know, are you seeing that on the, the return on investment side with data, but also are you seeing a return on investment in the intangible as far as user acceptance or soldier buy-in, how's the feedback been from the soldiers? Are they, you know, receiving it positively? All right. So after after each of our tier one events, we we did uh, soldier feedback, we did AARs, and all the data we collected was 100% positive feedback from everybody that participated. We we even had soldiers trying to volunteer to help assist with FY21's training because they they enjoyed it so much. Um, and as far as results. Our, our numbers were astonishing. We had 93 people participate in FY20. And out of that 93, 26 of those soldiers had flags rem uh, removed at the end of the three-month training event. So we were able to not only remove flags, but we also improved everybody across the board. The average push-up increase was 18 push-ups per individual, 17 sit-ups, and the run scores across the board dropped an average of five minutes. So when we took all that data, we, we, we ran it. It just, it made us realize how effective that program was. Uh, soldiers leaving the program, a lot of them were talking about how they wish they had this sooner. They want their friends and their fellow soldiers, service members to get involved with the program as well. If you don't mind, I wanted to just caveat off, off of his question a little bit, and that was, you know, talking about soldier buy-in, how was, you know, taking this contracting approach, how did you guys hit the challenge there that we run into with soldiers, which is time? You know, we only see them once a month on these IDT weekends. You know, how have you seen that get integrated with H2F? So the way we integrated is we had that three-tier system. So the, the tier one was the in-person. And what we did is we did it on off-drill weekends and we had ADOS funding available to have soldiers show up for that. So they weren't missing any IDTs, they were coming in, they were training with us, and they were still participating with their unit training assemblies. Um, the tier three and the tier two, we, we participated with them at events, we came in, we did assessments on them, and then we gave them access to the O2X uh, portal for that Eat, <clears throat> excuse me, that Eat, Sweat, Thrive uh, focus. So that's how we reached the largest portion of our populace. So it sounds like you hit a, a high risk population and those were the in-person soldiers that would come off drill weekends and then people that maybe just needed to get pointed in the right direction, had access and could help, you know, kind of facilitate their own learning, so to speak. Yeah, the tier one was our high risk. It was our flag soldiers. Uh, it was soldiers that were on the verge of being flagged like a real low PT scores, real high uh, body fat percentages. Uh, we also had soldiers that were uh, postpartum as well as post-injury coming off of profiles to get them back into the uh, being able to pass an APST. That's awesome. To speak to your question about data collection, we certainly have the most data on our high-risk population, those individuals that we consider tier one, those 93 individuals. They were screened at an in-person event in conjunction with their PHA. 
They were screened at uh, weekend one, two, and three, and we have outcome data from where they were at at that point in time. We have their last APFT and height weight um, of record from DTMS, as well as their height weight from their PHA event. And then we did in-body scanning at each of our um, foundation, our, um, and then they were the other two weekends as well. So we're also working with the Institute for Defense Analysis. We have a good deal of, pop, of population health data for our tier two population, which is about a thousand army soldiers for FY20. Commanders loved that. They got a snapshot of where their unit was in terms of, our, do we understand what a, a work rest cycle is? Do we understand what fueling for performance is? How do folks feel about their subjective level of stress, fitness, and nutrition? They really liked having that. And it also took a comparison to the rest of the nation and the American populace. Um, we looked at it, stratified data by age and gender. And so it was fairly surprising to a lot of our leaders to see how many soldiers were considered to be uh, overweight or were obese. And a big surprise to them was the number that still uh, used tobacco products, despite the known health risks and the decreases in human performance optimization that we see as a result of that. So we have had an opportunity to collect a great deal of data, which we're still in the process of, of analyzing. And we're actually hoping to publish that, um, submitting some abstracts to AMSIS and some of the other military specific journals. That's fantastic. And that, that data is really going to be essential moving forward, as you well know, for implementation of, of H2F in the Guard. And, you know, one follow-up question to that would be, you know, there are some people who, who maybe say out there, we, you know, we should be told, we should just be issued H2F. It should come, you know, just like our TA-50, we should just get issued H2F and it should be part of a standard issue. Um, if you could speak a little bit to the benefit of having that freedom to move on the battlefield and design a program or implement a program based on your needs as a state and, and just kind of uh, talk about those, those benefits of being able to, to look at your data and say, here's what we need and here's where we need it and how, here's how we're going to fix the problems that we have as opposed to a kind of a one-size-fits-all solution. Sure, and I'll ask uh, Sergeant Societis and uh, Devin Smith to jump in at any point as well. So um, we really did use that tier two data that we had about uh, the end of Q2, beginning of Q3 of last year to inform how we built our contract for FY20. Um, that allowed us to identify where did we need the most uh, additional subject matter expert tie-in with our force. And when we looked at that, that came in the force of adding in a half-time registered dietitian. If funding weren't an object, we would have loved to have had a full-time registered dietitian on staff. Um, but the biggest takeaway that we had when we surveyed that over, a little bit over a thousand individuals was, we don't know how to fuel for performance. Um, most folks had difficulty with completing a dietary recall, didn't necessarily know um, how many calories they were taking in a day, whether or not um, if they tracked macros, they weren't exactly sure how to do that. A lot of them didn't know necessarily what that was. There's a variety of different methods that folks can use to track what's coming in and how that is impacting their performance. And, and we just weren't using those tools. And so that was something that we recognized as a team that we wanted to 
um, bring to our force in the way that we wanted to do that was to bring in somebody who had the ability to not only, um, you know, provide instruction to individuals on nutrition principles, um, not only do some live cooking classes for our service members and their families, but who could also, um, in working with our joint surgeon's office, hopefully get credentialed and do the army body composition um, analysis with these individuals so that we can all get back in compliance with the requirements of, of FM 7-22 um, and really take that, you know, teaching that evaluation and be able to prescribe a diet for folks who are struggling with how to do that in their own lives. Um, we also looked at how do we increase the model for the total force, because as Sergeant Major had mentioned before, we had a lot of individuals who were really interested in the programming, heard about it from their friends, and we wanted to increase our total force impact. And so we looked at um, decreasing our, our tier two, which was kind of allowing that for that initial assessment and then giving everybody access to their portal and giving them a, a workbook and a, a textbook actually. Um, so we decreased that number down. We, we are gonna continue to reassess those individuals that were in tier one, they've become this year's tier two, but we increased our total force. So we have more individuals that will have access to the portal, which is now available as an app uh, for Android and Apple devices. And we've increased our in-person um, presence with folks. Now COVID's uh, impacted that a bit uh, like it has for everybody else. And I know we're gonna get to a question a little bit later where we're gonna talk a little bit about how we have made that shift to more um, distance and online opportunities. But I think that actually fits really well with the guard model. We're good, you know, the air guard is different than the army guard in that sense. On the, on the army side, we're only between 10 and 15%. It's a full-time force between AGR, ADOS and technicians. The air side's greater than 50%. But what that still means is that majority of our soldiers and airmen aren't available in a full-time capacity to receive these services, for example, on a base or installation. We have to meet them where they're at, which means at home and in their community. And this is this has really forced us in a direction to, to making that happen, um, probably much more rapidly than we would have otherwise. Yeah, that's great. And you hit on a great point, which is that H2F you know, is about not necessarily holding somebody's hand through that cultural change, but teaching, you know, you're, you're creating cultural change through training and education and making independent soldiers that can make independent choices, um, you know, away from drill, away from their leaders so that they become more self-sufficient. So, you know, I think that you're doing great work with all of that. That sounds fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. Folks have autonomy and we can see gains in any area we want if we restrict their environment and their access. That's not reality though. Um, folks need to be able to make meaningful change in a way that works within their family structure and within their work cycle. And we've got to help them find a way that works for them. Absolutely. Well, and Major Murphy, you kind of already hit on this a little bit, but you know, I guess through this growing process of, you know, adjusting your tiers as you were talking about, what are some of your, I guess, lessons learned with with going through the the, the third-party solution system here that you've applied towards implementing H2F? Do you have some some pieces of advice you'd give to those who were, you know, maybe wanting to take the same approach that the state of Massachusetts is taking on how to, you know, go about implementing it to get to that 
end result where we're able to provide you know maximum amount of services to you know the most number of guardsmen possible. Sure, I think Sergeant Major, you had prepared a, a response to this one, so I'll let you take this, and Devin or I can jump in as needed. Sure, man. So with us, we uh, emphasize command buy-in. Um, we briefed the tag, the Lancaster Commander, State CSMs. We we got these these commanders to buy into the program before we even really started it, which helped us a lot. Um, selling the program, I mean, it sounds crazy but you really have to go out and sell this to, to the command teams. One of the big jobs that I did when I first came on to the program was getting the CSMs all involved. So all our battalion CSMs and brigade CSMs working together to try to make this happen. Um, you really have to have people like Major Murphy running this program that really is passionate about it. If, if you just put somebody to try to put this together that doesn't have the drive and passion like Major Murphy does, I, it just won't be as successful. Um, the whole crew we implemented with O2X, everybody works together. I mean, and that's that's really what it took for us to get this going. Yeah, and I think it's also what is your leadership interested in? Um, we were able to look and implement total force fitness principles by first going after, you know, those easy targets, which was for everybody looking at what can we do to improve readiness through APFT score improvement and decrease in height, weight, um, body composition flags. And so those were kind of our, our 25 meter targets, so to speak. We know that all of the total force fitness principles are important, but some of those hard skills versus soft skills, um, it's hard to measure sometimes the increase in uh, sleep duration and um, whether or not that is restorative. It's hard to, to measure sometimes also, you know, how much of a role spirituality plays in somebody's ability to perform at their optimal level. Um, so those are some areas that we've continued to try and bring in. And leadership has been much more accepting of looking at some of those softer skills around the resiliency principles, around in incorporating spiritual practices, around recognizing the need for education and training on sleep. We also look at things like breathing. Um, a great number of folks say, well, why do I need to learn different ways how to sleep and breathe? Well, they absolutely have a tremendous impact on our ability to cognitively function, to recover, and to build muscle. And so we have to look at how do we teach from a holistic perspective and not just train for the one task at hand. Um, we gain you know, insight and integration with the breathing by reminding folks they already actually know a good portion of some of the breathing exercises and training that we're doing. We bring them back to you know when we look at the you know, schematics for how do we go to a range and what are some of the basic principles for rifle marksmanship. We know how to modulate and control our breathing. What we don't always know how to do is how to harness that and use it for optimizing our performance in a variety of different areas. And so we're trying to take an aspect or a learning that they have in one specific area and operationalize it across um, any task that they want to do. And that's something that's new and in, in learning for, for many of our soldiers and airmen. Just to speak to, to buy-in as well, just to kind of add a piece to that is, you know, O2X, the contracting company, it's a, it's a tactical athlete, your performance company built 
by tactical athletes. You know, they're all um, veterans that have started the company, know the company, and implement the company. Um, so I think from our basis, uh, we're, you know, the company itself is starting and run by tactical athletes. You know, we're as subject matter experts, not all tactical athletes. We can apply our knowledge to the field, and I think that helps and assists with buy-in. Um, and then I think another thing that helps with that is, you know, the virtual resources and then the in-person resources that we provide are highly adaptable to the individual. So speaking to autonomy, you know, these individuals are now empowered. Uh, these soldiers and airmen have the resources and the tools that they need to see how this best fits within their life. And then us as implementers are there to help structure and how best that's going to fit into that soldier and airman's day to day. And one other uh, aspect that we haven't talked about is when we were working with our contracting office and looking at potential solutions, one of the things that was enticing about um, O2X's proposal was they already have a curriculum um, that's embedded within a lot of the fire and EMS communities. So, for example, all of our 68 uh, whiskeys have an opportunity to earn CEUs that they can use towards their um, EMTB or for our folks that have the paramedic, like our flight medics and some of our um, other individuals, they have the ability to, to earn those for their EMTB or their EMTP recertifications. There's also an opportunity based on what curriculum they complete within the app or the online portal to gain uh, two credits from Roger Williams University. So I think there's some great additional opportunities that we've been able to sell command teams and our, our soldiers and airmen that are of a personal importance for them um, and not necessarily related specifically to their military MOS. Sometimes they are, sometimes it's not, but it's kind of a win-win for them, both in terms of their own knowledge and understanding as well as a benefit for them um, personally and professionally. Yes, ma'am. And you hit, you know, hit the nail right on the head. And that's a, that's an aspect that people sometimes forget about H2F implementation in the guard is, is and you've talked about it, but the effect that it's going to have not only in the guard, but also within the communities. And that's where, you know, something that we really have a, a, an asset that we have at our fingertips here with H2F implementation is it's not only going to affect our formations, but it's going to positively affect our communities. So that's fantastic. Well, and, and noting off of that, like, it sounds like, you know, from the discussion we've had so far that the soldier buy-in has been super positive and that really, you know, the, the big point that it seems to be that you're making is that you just needed to show the data to your to command teams to get command teams buy-in to allow for, you know, kind of program utilization across the force. Yes. Uh, and as our major said, I, I think that using our enlisted leaders to inform um, that has been a great I can get up and brief and see our two C's. I can get up and brief um, at our LCC uh, huddle. And sometimes, unfortunately, as officers, not everything makes it down to the level it should. We kind of keep it within a circle. Um, and I think that's something that we're all working on as a total force. Um, so bringing in both Chief Preston and Sergeant Major Societis as integrators within the army in the air i think has been huge for us in, in reaching a great number of folks who have a leadership role you know from the platoon through the brigade level majority of our soldiers and airmen are enlisted and getting people that they trust to buy into this program is extremely instrumental in its success yeah and on a personal note you know appreciate everything that you guys have done and uh, all the information and feedback that Massachusetts has provided us um, to really blaze a trail for all the other states 
and, and show what can be done with H2F implementation of the Army National Guard. So, you know, we're truly thankful for all your efforts. Thanks. So, Mr. Harper, welcome from the great state of Indiana. So you guys had the unique opportunity to be part of the Forcecom field test here as you guys built a, you know, an internal program for H2F. You want to give us a quick rundown of you know, how that experience was moving through it? Well, this was a, a great experience, a great opportunity to, uh, to be part of a large initiative uh, in its rollout stages. Uh, obviously, this was a force comm pilot uh, that uh, uh, had a total of 30 battalions uh, that were tested. And uh, most of these, 29 of them, were active duty. And so we had the unique opportunity to kind of be the one National Guard battalion to test this, but also uh, look at different uh, approaches that may be different from the active duty that the Guard needs uh, specifically to be able to ex execute the holistic health and fitness program. And sir, what were some of the things that, you know, as you moved through, because some people may not be aware, you actually started a program in, the, in Indiana with a, the Indiana Wellness Directorate prior to even H2F really getting off the ground. So um, you had that backstory and that experience, plus your experience, you know, with, with different initiatives in the Army. So as you, move, you know, moved with all that experience into the Forcecom field test, what were some of the things you were able to identify and pick up on that, that maybe would be, uh, you know, individual to the Army National Guard and H2F implementation? Uh, absolutely. I think that there's uh, some things that we can we can execute that are active duty based that that uh, worked well, and also things that we need to relook in the uh, National Guard. But uh, the things that we found most uh, important came down to three uh, primary topics, and and one of those is really you know needing to develop that fitness and wellness domain. Are uh, you familiar with the total force fitness? eight domains of physical, nutritional, medical, environmental, spiritual, um, psychological, social, and behavioral. Um, that physical piece is something that uh, probably was lacking one of the most uh, from a physical org structure standpoint. And so we felt like uh, it was important to model um, uh, something similar uh, to the master resiliency training model where they had this hierarchy structure and, uh, and so we just needed this in the fitness realm. And so uh, we did that. We did uh, Indiana Wellness Directorate uh, initially. There's been, obviously this is uh, scalable uh, to any sizes, but uh, that meets the needs of any state. But, but what this accomplished, it really empowered us to be able to meet, um, find solutions, test uh, solutions, uh, and implement them uh, in the state of Indiana based upon what those what our specific physical readiness needs were. And, and so um, we have a program director, uh, program manager, similar to what the active duty model is proposing. Uh, we've also got a core um, uh, contract officer representative that is fundamental in uh, ensuring the uh, position work statements are in place uh, for these contractors when you bring them on board for the, for the holistic health and fitness. 
that comes with several different contractors. You got strength coaches, uh, physical therapists, uh, occupational therapists, um, athletic trainers, uh, registered dietitians. They're all uh, going to need some contract oversight, and so uh, having that ability on hand was 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 a paramount and important. And I feel that role right now. Um, we also look at budget analysts. I think that there's some funds that come with this that came with the the Forcecom package uh, that um, needed to be managed and utilized. And so being able to uh, have an internal source uh, that was ready and available to be able to create the PRs necessary to execute these funds in a timely manner, uh, the different uh, methods of contract or procurement uh, of this uh, exercise equipment and the medical equipment that comes with it uh, is all very, very important. And so it was fundamental to kind of have that in place. Uh, but uh, that was one of the big things was develop this org structure, let's develop this hierarchy. And that was something we had in place before this uh, H2F came on, uh, um, was proposed to us. And so it was a quick and easy transition uh, when that came. Um, the second proponent probably would be the MFT hierarchy structure, ensuring that we've got uh, soldiers in place that are trained at each echelon uh, down to the company level. We have two per uh, echelon uh, that are trained MFTs and they get routine synchronized training by the subject matter experts that the, that the H2F brings and, and the wellness directorate brings. Uh, this is great. It's a it's a fundamental approach that the force multiplier that that is needed to uh, ensure that soldiers get this wellness message early and throughout their career, uh, which I think is very very important uh, from a sustainability standpoint in changing lifestyles and health and wellness. Uh, the third step would be obviously. Uh, I feel is important to have tag or, or headquarter policy memos that drive soldier action um, that allows soldiers the opportunity to come to where you're at, to seek us out and utilize the resources. Uh, by itself, it's hard when you know soldiers are dispersed. And that's one of the main differences between the, the guard and the active duty approach is that uh, our soldiers are are dispersed and they're they're busy. They they hold uh, normal lives, uh, normal working conditions, uh, and so how do you motivate and how do you get that out there? So I, having these policies in place really helped uh, to drive those uh, the the function of what we're doing fundamentally. Great, and you actually kind of bring us to our to our next point, which is, um, you know. A lot of people, there are some people out there that think, hey, this should be a one-size-fits-all solution. And, you know, maybe it's just easier to have that package sent to you and you don't really have to think about it. And you just, you're off to the races. But um, obviously the guard approach is a little bit more different because it's, it's a state-led initiative. And so if you could kind of speak to, from your perspective, the benefit of having that autonomy to, to looking at your state, at your state-specific needs and building a program around that, and then maybe some advice for for somebody that's in the same position as you are to, that's starting from scratch and and going through that process. Well, absolutely. I think it's uh, very important to have uh, that autonomy. Uh, the the again being empowered to develop your own solutions based upon the needs of the state uh, is is fundamental. And I think that 
comes foundationally with the the wellness um, directorate uh, or that hierarchy structure that provides that uh, oversight and support. Um, we've had, because of that, we've been able to create courses that uh, directly impact uh, soldiers' lives. And one of those is what we call the Life Fit course or the Tactical Athlete Conditioning course. Uh, this is a 15-day um, move-to-learn course where uh, soldiers that have been flagged uh, for height and weight or, or physical fitness uh, failures can come down and get this initially 10 days of really good hands-on training and the ability to talk and and uh, express themselves and their concerns and their challenges. Um, they go back to their uh, respected element for about 60 days and then they return on a five-day follow-up. And uh, there we see uh, significant changes. These soldiers that were probably at their end of of life in the guard and not wanting to really continue on uh, change to soldiers that become the highlight of their battalion, their companies, and a beacon of light for soldiers that may be struggling uh, where they were at earlier on. Uh, that's just one approach. Uh, there, we have uh, several other courses that we're able to put on that uh, uh, empowers us to be able to provide the solutions necessary. One of that is the ACFT. That's the huge, uh, it's been a huge topic of conversation, units uh, requesting information, needing information, soldiers needing um, how to better prepare for it. Uh, this is such a, a much more of a dynamic test that uh, the, the uh, exposure to the methodology beforehand and then uh, providing foundational training to better prepare soldiers is only going to uh, improve in all capacities of, of life um, as well as the physical readiness. Uh, to those groups that are just starting out, um, you know, I think you, you want to look at uh, someone within your state that, that uh, has the subject matter expertise uh, in wellness and fitness and in um, these different categories. Uh, it could uh, active duty, of course, is using uh, some Title V folks. Uh, we don't have that yet in the guard, I don't believe. But um, but look look for those individuals that that have that interest and desire. Uh, there's there's probably a few that you know of already, and so uh, get those individuals to be that manager that uh, can kind of lay out this hierarchy structure. Uh, and, and figure out what needs they're going to have to properly lay this out and be the subject matter experts that that they need to be able to find the solutions for, for their own state. And one thing I'll add to that, and I'll hand it back over to Captain Carr here, but um, you know, a lot has been made of the return on investment for, for H2F. And um, one of the things that Indiana has done a really great job with is talking about the value H2F brings in the sense of retaining soldiers versus the cost of having to recruit or assess new soldiers into, into the state. And uh, if you just want to speak to that a little bit, and maybe about some of the other return on investment things you've seen, whether it be you know, data analysis or even just the, the less tangible uh, soldier feedback and, and, and whatnot. But I think that you guys have really made a great point in regards to that retention piece. 
Oh, absolutely. Thank you. That, uh, that's one paramount, I think, that's going to run across the entire uh, 54, the, the important thing to retain soldiers. Uh, so you're not having to constantly fight the, the battle of recruiting. But uh, it, it's been successful. We've, we've done well on some of these programs. Again, uh, going back to this, the, the life fit, uh, it, it was found that we had about 25% uh, retention rate from soldiers that were on their way out. These were soldiers that had been struggling with with height and weight and, and uh, APFT physical fitness for years. And um, they were put on one year extension waiver. And, and uh, with that, they had to attend the Life Fit course and uh, were able to find themselves again, so to speak, and find that uh, intrinsic motivation that motivated and made them truly beacons of light for uh, their unit and other soldiers that were struggling uh, with that. And so uh, it was helpful uh, to uh, that cost alone, uh, just to retain that soldier provides um, its millions of dollars and, and provides a, a resource to the state to for us to be able to continue to look at and send soldiers to that uh, may be struggling. And and man, this was something that that we started to uncover. It wasn't just a physical readiness concern. Uh, there's obviously uh, a, a behavioral health component uh, that may be lurking uh, in that soldier's life. Uh, there may be a social uh, issue. There may be financial issues that are all leading to these physical readiness concerns. And so um, here in the state of Indiana, it's easy because we have uh, buildings that ha that house the behavioral health right next to us and financial uh, readiness resources uh, right next to us. And so we're able to uh, reach across uh, the building here and provide a warm handoff for all of those uh, issues that are underlying to uh, a soldier in their in their career. So and I guess I have two questions. One's kind of a follow up on that, which is like in a practical sense, could you give us a rundown? You've, you've mentioned that uh life fit course a couple times because you give us a, a i think like a overview real quick what what that course is that you guys put together and then on the back end of that my second question was is for those soldiers that we're not bringing in you know that we're not seeing on, on a regular basis because we only see them you know at idts or you know virtually during an idt even right now you know how has how have you been able to implement h2et in you know that limited you know time space environment uh, Roger, uh, thank you. The, the one of the great uh, things about Life Fit is is again it's a it's a 15 day course. Uh, we've broken it up into two segments: a 10 day initial course, uh, where then they go back to the unit for 60 days, 60 to 90 days, and then they return for a five day segment. Um, the 10 day segment is built uh, upon uh, each day having several move to learn classes. Uh, we'll have subject matter experts come in, obviously the H2F personnel um, come in and, and provide uh, hands on training, uh, nutritional training. We've got uh, a run clinic. We've got uh, foundational movement clinics uh, with the strength coaches. Uh, it, a lot of this is conducted in a, a little gym that we've been able to create here, a, a functional a physical readiness gym uh, that we've been able to create. 
Um, uh, there's other courses. There's the the financial wellness. There's the BH piece uh, that they'll come in and talk about. And uh, obviously, if there's a more leader central focused um, uh, talk about what their potential is and leadership opportunities and and how they can best influence soldiers that are around them. Uh, and then there's, of course, a methodology piece that comes into how they can create their own exercise programs, given their unit structure and uh, and execute that on their own at home and how successful it is that uh, it's been we, we've had great feedback we get these continued uh, success stories um, soldiers just changing their lives and ultimately becoming those uh, realizing their pinnacle their true self uh, the individuals they've, they've wanted to be and were just held back by some a barrier, and so uh, it, it, it's a great. It's been a great course. Again, got 25% uh, uh, retention rate. Uh, the success rate from changing from failing to passing is even higher than that. Uh, you're, you've got nearly upwards of 30-40% in just uh, success rate in changing from failing to passing. Obviously, there's there's um, re other reasons why soldiers don't want to retain and stay in long term, but but uh, from that population, we're doing uh, making a huge impact, and it's been greatly successful. Um, the The other piece uh, to this is COVID has been a great test of how we can utilize our H2F resources to soldiers that are in a dispersed environment. Uh, it's caused us to uh, go from an in-person uh, 24 seven in-person um, course and structure to a more virtual wellness program. Um, we've had a huge response as units went to virtual training. Uh, they were uh, reaching out uh, to have wellness courses taught and courses that help prepare their soldiers for the ACFT. Because we all know once this COVID thing dies down and we, we gain control, we're, uh, it's all going to be ACFT focus and the, the transition to this uh, physical fitness piece. And so uh, we've been able to do that. We have several different courses that, that, that uh, our H2F team has been able to develop and teach. Uh, you have jumping and running clinics. You have at-home uh, workout clinics, uh, which has been in interesting for folks. Uh, we got ACFT uh, preparation, uh, physical performance, uh, ACFT injury prevention. Uh, you got nutritional uh, pieces. You've got uh, meals at home. Uh, just a lot of different options. And again, it goes back to that we've been empowered. We can create these things uh, because we have that that internal structure at, that is self confident in, in what it does and uh, and pro and produces uh, evidence based programs that. Uh, uh, are going to be successful in the long run. Uh, the question is, is can we bring these programs into place, get them implemented and start tracking long enough to see that fruit? Uh, and that's a, that's always a challenge because a lot of times we want results quick, uh, but this is a lifestyle. This is a cultural change uh, that is going to take some time. And ultimately I feel like uh, that this that it is and that we we're seeing this now you're seeing a 
a different kind of group uh, come out of uh, AIT now that, that are better prepared for the ACFT. Um, they're better. It's an interesting uh, concept, and I think we're going to see this systemically across the force. And sir, you hit on something that, that we've talked to the other teams about, um, and you've been, uh, you know, you've been around the block when it comes to military fitness and have had a long career in this field. Um, but you hit on the cultural change piece, and I just wonder if you could comment on the importance of seizing the moment uh, at the, you know, for these state teams and these project officers and all these H2F initiatives that are going on, the importance of seizing the moment. And, and have you ever seen in your career uh, a cultural change of this magnitude that's, that's going on and, and why, you know, with that perspective, under, you know, help people understand why it is so important that we seize this opportunity? Well, this is uh, this is a great, great opportunity to kind of get ahead of this physical readiness concern that has been plaguing the guard, even active duty for some time. The, the, the threats to physical readiness, the biggest threats that that I know of that uh, uh, have been brought to attention, obviously physical injuries, musculoskeletal injuries, uh, obesity concerns, uh, APFT, ACFT uh, failures. Uh, these things are systemic, and uh, if we ever want to get control of that, then we need to develop a cultural change that develops fitness and wellness into everyday life. Uh, this has got to be part of the military culture. It's got to be part of their their doctrines, their teaching, their training. Um, routinely, We'll have soldiers come in to the life fit course uh, that have never received any type of physical fitness training. They they just it was never their background. It was never their interest, and uh, and it has become a challenge over the time it, it, throughout their uh, first initial um, six years uh, to where they don't know what to do. They need help. Uh, and so, again, I think it's very important to address these things early and you start to see communication from recruiting command. You're seeing this in basic training where more of these soldiers are getting uh, training in this early at the very beginning of their career. Uh, and so now it's up to us as they as they enter that unit to establish this and maintain it throughout their career as a soldier. Uh, if they don't, things will just go back to normal. We, you've always heard of the additive, uh, if you do what, what you've always done, you'll get what you've always got. And so the opportunity now is to provide change in the physical realm, uh, physical readiness realm, uh, create that domain, make it uh, a prominent domain uh, of, of of total force fitness that uh, needs to be looked at. And I think, again, in the long run, as we continue to provide these things and we provide the policies and we're creative in bringing soldiers through these programs, then they'll start to engage in, a, a, have that be a normal part of their life and normal part of their uh, long-term um, change in lifestyle. Absolutely. So I guess kind of my you know, question is, you, you guys have already built you know, quite a 
program there and got a jump start on it with the with the Forcecom pilot program. What is your advice to those states and leaders who are looking to implement uh, H2F within their state and they want to take some of you know your I guess lessons learned um, as they're going into it? I would um, let those leaders know that that we're always here. They can always uh, reach out to to us um, in the Indiana National Guard and and myself and Lieutenant Hudson uh, and our uh, state MFT uh, Sergeant First Class Alan Bonderhide. Uh, they've been such a huge uh, part of all of this. And uh, and understand these programs so well that that they just would be happy to help any other state that's getting initiated. So, Mr. Harper, um, thank you so much for coming and sharing some of your experience here, specifically for this Forcecom pilot program, but also you know just how you've really taken a unique approach to implementing H2F. Um, we're going to be moving over into more internal programs, talking to Washington and. Kentucky Army National Guard up next. Yeah, and sir, appreciate everything you've done uh, in your state, all the resources you provide to the other states. And, uh, you know, from, from the NGB team here, uh, definitely keep up the great work and we appreciate, uh, you know, everything that you're doing there to, to help the force. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you very much for the opportunity to speak. And we look forward to uh, future discussions on H2F. So with us talking internal applications to H2F is Captain Sims from Washington Army National Guard and Staff Sergeant Casey from Kentucky Army National Guard. Gentlemen, welcome. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us on. So you guys have both taken this approach of, you know, using an internal solution to working H2F. I'm sure that requires a lot of creativity you know, Captain Sims, do you want to head this one off and kind of give us a quick overview of like how your internal approach to implementing H2F works? Yeah, it's been it's been really interesting and uh, exciting at the same time. Uh, a lot a lot of the initial groundwork that that we've done has been trying to identify resources that we already have so that we're not working parallel lines of effort. And seeing what the state already has put into place and, and what the DOD and maybe other entities have put into place that, that meet the same guidelines uh, to kind of give us a jump start um, on building programs in education around uh, the, the austere environment that the National Guard finds itself in to, to try to build autonomy in those programs. And then, and then what's missing? What do we need? And I think most people can say experts are probably the Facilities are probably the two biggest things, uh, along with funding, that just aren't quite there yet. But we do have lots of leeway in, in being able to provide education, meet up with soldiers, and, and give them something more of, of like what an Army Wellness Center would give them on a, on a case-by-case -case basis and then unit-by-unit -unit basis. Yeah, um, our program started out actually a couple of years prior to the initial rollout of H2F. Uh, it ended up being one of those things where you do a data analysis in the state of uh, what do you need help with, and uh, most of the time it's uh, you know PT, and that's a, that's a big thing for Compo too is is trying to 
uh, overcome that. So uh, Lieutenant Colonel Simpson and uh, now retired Master Sergeant Taney um, started working together to put together this program, um, as we call Axe Camp. And what it was to designed is to design to target the, you know, PT height weight failures that we had across the state. Identify that, bring them in, and educate them. Educate them on uh, fitness, uh, resiliency, um, and nutrition. And it's a big four-day class that really highlights all that. And then uh, H2F started to become a, a, a talking point, and our program. Uh, by default, lined up with the uh, several components of H2F. So uh, right now, we're just looking at taking our program and adding to it to uh, make it fit the holistic model for H2F. So I guess while we have you, Sergeant Casey, right here, you know, talking about facilities, I know that's something that Caption Sims mentioned as well. Um, you know, I guess how has that looked as far as the development of facilities or, you know, those resources? Has it been more focused on, I guess, that education piece that you were just alluding to? Or is it, you know, taking the approach of, you know, resources for soldiers to be able to utilize for XYZ? Yeah, we host uh, many of camps at the Joint Force Headquarters Boone National Guard Center. And uh, there we've taken an old hangar and turned it into a... Um, a uh, million dollar gym that uh, facilitates uh, a place where we host the camps as well as um, they can resource any of the G shops that, that may need to be uh, uh, utilized for these uh, end day soldiers coming up. So if we get a soldier, you know, in a course uh, that may need help with something, we have everything we need right there to facilitate that for the soldier and uh, and. Uh, provide that for them. I think that there's a, a misnomer out there that, hey, we need to, to build all these brand new shiny buildings and, you know, create something from scratch and, and all that. Uh, could you speak to how much of a, a benefit it was to just take an existing building and refit it, um, you know, to, to basically get to the same end state? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I know when they were looking at that, uh, aviation was building a, a brand new center in the in the back of uh, Boone National Guard Center there. And uh, I mean, you're looking at a, a multi-million dollar uh, budget to to, you know, stand up a gym. So when they started looking at this hangar and started doing the you know, the data analysis on it and the dimensions and, and refitting it, uh, they determined that, hey, we can make this work for uh, for a gym. You know, and so then that's when it all got started and they started working on uh, just taking the old hangar and turning it into what it is now. Yeah, that's great. And it, you know, ultimately resulted in basically multi-million dollar savings, uh, which is, you know, the type of innovation and the innovative solutions that we're looking for for, for H2F implementation in the Guard. Yeah, I was going to say, going back to Captain Sims, you, you briefly mentioned facilities as well. Do you want to highlight kind of what your state's looking at for that yeah we're we're fortunate on one end to to have we teach the mft course up here so our schoolhouse has two um uh fitness labs i guess you could say that we use for our mft course so one is right in the middle of the state in, in yakima at the yakima training center and then one right now is being built out on camp murray which is our state headquarters um the the other things we look at uh so, so looking at facilities has been a, a, about a two-year process for us and how we were going to implement 
um, warrior performance and resiliency centers across the states at the most cost-effective way possible uh, with, with the tools that the soldiers would need to be able to do like warfighter movements or the movements that would increase their ability to perform warrior task battle drills um, without injury and then also be able to do their job well while they're at a high op tempo or anything the soldiers have to do like looking over the past 18 months that makes sense right so having them having the ability to at their home station or wherever their company drills or if, if they're having a battalion or larger level event where could they practice those warfighter movements that mimic warrior task battle drills to be able to then be, go out in the field and do those without injuries. So we we knew we had those two labs. Um, the next step was using the tools at our disposal, which happened to be the ACFT, um, and, and getting that equipment out to the local armories and then setting up their own uh, kind of detachment uh, warrior performance and resiliency center that they can use on drill weekends. They can put an MFT in there, an MRT, they can go over um, their cognitive performance, their mindfulness-based mental fitness training, they can go through with uh, MFT on good movement, um, speed, strength, muscular endurance, uh, jumping, landing, any, anything that you would need to do as, as far as being a soldier. And then on a bigger level, looking at taking very similar to what Sergeant Casey was talking about, taking a facility we already have and, and fitting it into the bigger picture. So. One of our buildings we're looking at at Camp Murray would have an area for indoor uh, ACFT training or ACFT testing, and then a larger kind of performance center that would be more your traditional strength conditioning center and functional fitness outlet. And that that process, working with the vendors and putting in uh, cost estimates and, and 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 having those go through the process, and the state's just been awesome. Everyone has been so supportive um as far as purchasing goes and making sure that we're getting the right contracts with the right people uh that include everything uh so that's that's been about a two-year process that's finally coming to uh fruition right now um this this fy so uh that's kind of exciting to to see some of those things getting put into place and, and have places for soldiers to be able to go do the things that they need to do to be you know happy and and healthy and hungry for this life and something that we've asked some of the other groups is, you know, there are people out there that think that, you know, H2F should be kind of more of a standard issue across the board and should just arrive at your doorstep ready made. If you could both, uh, we'll start with you, Captain Sims, if you could talk about the benefit from your seat of developing a needs-based program for your state, you know, more of a grassroots campaign, what has the benefit to that been uh, from, from your standpoint? Yeah, you know, I, I felt that at first it was when we were looking at at building H2F, because I, I would say a lot of us who got into the ACFT project officer job, were kind of looking forward to the, the bigger picture, which is H2F. And we at first it was uh, it was very easy to kind of want these left and right limits. Like, what are my left and right limits? Just give me a uh, an outline and let me fill in the blanks. But Talking with other states and kind of seeing the different demographics, the different locations. Some states, of course, have have a much larger population. Um, the missions are different, battalions, brigades, all the MSC levels, the directorates are all just a little bit different. So, just like you would an athlete. So, if you're if you're a coach and you have a facility 
you're probably not doing group designs. So you wouldn't do a templated workout for everyone in that facility. You wouldn't do templated nutrition. You wouldn't do template, templated cognitive performance or uh, mindfulness training. You would individualize each one of those aspects into your athlete's program. And the same thing goes for the states. Like really looking at each unit individually and understanding uh, what you need and then what each unit needs. So within that unit, what they need and how to best resource them um, so that they can do their job, um, their civilian job, and, and be happy and healthy that way. But then also come to the high op tempo that we're facing in the, in the National Guard, and it's not going to slow down, and, and be healthy and happy in that role also. So then on the, on the back end, you've made this program specific to the needs of, of the human beings in your state, the ethical athletes in your state, the leadership in your state, the annual plan, the 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 two-year plan, the larger strategic planning. You know, when you start thinking five, 10 years out, what does this look like? You can really make it successful, uh, sustainable for everyone involved. And then you have that maybe, maybe on the back end, your soldiers, when they're done with their long, very long career and the new recruits that come in, they they are better for, for it. They say that, you know, the Army National Guard gave me the tools to be strong, perform well long past retirement. It all starts with making sure that, that you have an individualized, individualized program. For your state. So I definitely see that now and, and the benefits to that. Awesome. Sergeant Casey, over to you. These soldiers get hungry for uh, what can I do? Because my, my situation, it might not be the same as somebody else's so what ultimately happens is they just reach out to the cadre and we work with them and, and more often than not ends up being that one-on-one -on -one experience back and forth with us to help them uh in in their daily because uh you know you might have a nurse that works swing shift and then uh somebody that's a factory worker and so you, you got two different lifestyles of uh, living and two different times it might be you know three 12-hour shifts in a day and the factory worker might be working you know uh, 612s. And so what that ends up looking like is, is, um, what, what can I do with this little bit of time that I may have, uh, to put forward, to make myself a, a better soldier and a, a better mom, dad, uh, brother, sister, you know? Um, and so it, it all in ultimately ends up, uh, being a one-on-one -on -one experience when we, when we get done with this thing. And, uh, the, the big takeaway that we always hope to uh, impact on the soldiers is that uh, they make this change because they want to make it and they want their lives to be better for it. And as Captain Sims uh, referred to is my big thing is, is I want you to take off the uniform and I, I don't want that to be the end of you. I, I want another career for you at the end of that so that way you can go and prosper and uh, a lot of us like to say that this is just a hobby right now you know and uh, the real job starts when we uh, take it off and retire and uh, ultimately i feel like that's a, that's our goal and everybody sitting in our seats right now i think uh, can speak for most of us that that's what we like to see more more than more than not so i think that one-on-one -on -one experience is is huge and, and valuable and when the soldier sees that you care that much about them to take that time to sit down and be like all right um you're not able to have a couple hours in the gym or an hour in the gym but we can get 15 20 30 minutes of your day and uh here's what we can do with that to maximize uh 
your time and efforts and, and what it's going to give to you going forward. With our program in our state, when Lieutenant Colonel Simpson wrote the program, him and uh, Master Sergeant in the beginning, I think the ideal for it was to uh, give something to these soldiers that was um, uh, easy to take away and take home. And, and being in guidelines of left and right limits of uh, a normal Army doctrine, per se, of saying, you know, uh, like, you know, we don't do things unless it comes in an order, right? You will do this, you will do that. Um, our program is a little bit more flexy and uh, as far as how we design it and what we do inside of it as far as uh, uh, like the training schedule goes for it. So it's it's constantly changing, ch constantly uh, adding to it and changing it, and we, we have the flexibility for that. Uh, I was under the same impression sitting in this seat with, as Captain Sims referred to earlier on, all right, what, what are my left and right limits? What can I do? What can I not do? And, uh, and, and frankly, it's honestly have to take a step back and, and look at, well, what does the state need? What, what do our soldiers in the Kentucky National Guard, what are their needs right now? And, uh, you know, uh, we run that data analysis and uh, try to each class identify something that that class has different than the other that we might want to highlight more in this upcoming course such as maybe we need a maybe we need to pour in some more resiliency you know courses or, or classes uh in the last class because this one has some you know outlying factors that, that, that gives that uh that that calls to it per se i guess if you you know what i mean and um we might need to highlight suicide awareness because we, you know, th there's some of that going on and uh, we need to address it. So each class is unique to its own and each, each one of them is different in that. And there's been classes too, as well, that we have that um, we have leaders in there that, that doesn't necessarily need to pass a PT test or height and weight test, but they want another tool for their tool bag. So they come through it. They, they, are not necessarily SMEs uh, as we are, but it's a tool for their tool bag that when their Joe says, you know, hey, Sergeant, I'm, I'm struggling with uh, finding ways to stay on my PT, he, he, you know, that that Sergeant has a way to say, well, here's what I picked up from uh, the Axe Camp and some things that I've learned and, and can we try this and try that? And if it gets over their head, then, then they can reach out to to us and, and we can help further that. You know, as MFTs, that's kind of our duty and our job anyway. So it's been really, really cool. Um, but like I said, each each class is unique to its own. And, and we have to address that coming into it on uh, as far as identifying what those soldiers need from us and what can we provide them. And we want to be able to provide them with as much resources as we possibly can so that way we can get them uh, – you know, all the tools they need to be successful going forward. And uh, so, you know, just to kind of ask a question of both of you again, we'll start with Captain Sims. Um, if you're a new project officer or if you're a team in a state somewhere that's that's sitting down at the table and getting ready to, to develop an H2F program or, or determine what your requirements are uh, for your state, What's some of the best advice that you could give them based on, you know, creating these internal programs from scratch on your own and, and help them get, you know, pointed in the right direction? Yeah, that's a great question. I, uh, I would do a needs analysis. So just like you, just like you're doing anything else, I, I would do a needs analysis on your state. I would see what units you have. Um, 
I would I would look at their annual plans and and uh, what what their op tempo is. Uh, I'd, I'd pull up the data on uh, your state from the uh, health of the Army National Guard force and kind of see see what your numbers are there. Um, and then I would build a needs analysis and and based on that needs analysis, I would start looking at the resources you already have through your joint services support group. Um, look on the air side of things and see what resources they have that might help you. Um, look at your state as a whole entity and, and try to get an idea of what you can implement right now that's available to you. Uh, sites like HPRC-online that's provided, that's a total force fitness site. that has tons of, of resource and knowledge and education on it. Um, uh, other CHAMP sites like Operation Supplement Safety, I would look at uh, who who your behavioral health is, who your uh, um, suicide prevention group is, your state MRT. Some states have a state MFT, so who that is. I would start to incorporate all of those things. I call it kicking bushes. So once you have your 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 needs analysis, you can just start going and kicking bushes and see what flies out. What's there for you to utilize? What programs can you improve? What programs can you implement? And then you can really get a sense, um, sense of what your facilities are, what your units op tempos are, what personnel you have, what states of health they're in. And, and then the social media thing is huge. That um, We were using our MFT page for a while. We just did the same thing. We switched to a WPR um, uh, Instagram page uh, and, and we're putting content out on warfighter movements and how to program, self-program those. So the sooner you can get that content and those resources and get it out to the soldiers and start getting buy-in, um, you know, strategically, not not just chaotically, but based on an, an actual plan that comes from a needs analysis, I, I think is your best bet. And that it just gives you, you'll have um, really strong, sustainable growth from that. And from that, you can start to build other programs. Uh, and 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 you'll know what to do, and you'll be able to spend money a little bit wiser when that starts to come, or if you have any left over. Sergeant Casey, over to you. Yeah, just to piggyback off Captain Sims, absolutely. That's uh, kind of what we always start with things, you know, when you're uh, uh, when you're laying things out, right? Uh, so eight step program, eight step model, right? Uh, recon. So needs analysis. What do we what do we need in the state? Um, how can we facilitate this? Um, who's going to uh, who's best fitted to help us uh, facilitate facilitate that and bring it all together and uh, execute the plan, assess and then retrain. Um, so that, that's huge. Uh, but it takes some time doing the <laughs> The kick in the bushes, as Kenson says, right? It takes some time to do that. You really got to dig in, and uh, uh, but it's just one of those things that uh, takes some time to really dig in and see what your state needs uh, by running all those those data pools, and it, it you'll be better for it in the in the long run. You'll be able to provide the the correct resources instead of just uh, throwing uh, darts in a barrel. Absolutely, and I love that you referenced the the eight step training model. Probably one of the the least known documents in the army. It's a good tool. So, Captain Sims, uh, back over to you. You mentioned soldier buy-in a little bit. What what kind of feedback have you gotten from the H2F program implementation that you've done so far, and like what benefits have soldiers seen within your state? 
So the context right now is we have an enormous amount of service members who are deploying, who have been deployed, continue to be uh, activated stateside for their communities and their neighborhoods and, and, and uh, the life and liberty of this country. And they're pretty stressed out. So when we can get those touch points, when we can contact them, when we can uh, educate their leaders or get them into virtual classes or do these podcasts or, or be live, it gives them some resources and every little resource counts. Maybe it's just how to manage your stress. Maybe it's on you know, how, how to be mindful while you eat. Maybe it's on warfighter movements. It, it really could be any, any small snippet of education and knowledge is going to help them mitigate um, what, what they're going through as, as far as um, having so much of their bucket just full and overflowing and, and not being able to, to have, have good tools to manage that. And then you know, maybe they get a tool where they can mitigate some of those stress and empty out some of their bucket and then, and then lear learn how to recover from and respond to those stressors a little bit better. So our buy-in has been really good. A lot of our courses are just starting up this year. It took us about 18 months to build. Um, some of those, so it's more like a menu uh, uh, item that that we got the idea from uh, places like O2X and in uh, Indiana and Florida, and, and we offer that to the units as far as training coaches and uh, training soldiers on on nourishment and warfighter movements and how to program for themselves, mindfulness training, how to how to incorporate that in cognitive performance in their training. One, two, three day courses virtual courses, five sessions, question and answers. So in case you said, it's just making everything available, whether it's virtual, whether it's in person, whether it's you know in, in a chat conversation on Teams or any platform we can reach, anything we can do. And that, that seems to be working uh, rather well. Sergeant Casey, do you have anything to add to that related to you know soldier buy-in and some of the benefits you've seen? Yeah, soldier buy-in is a huge one. Uh, it, it, we talk. I'm instructing an instructor's course right now, and in the instructor's course, you, you talk about soldiers want to know the why. You know, why am I doing this? Why am I here? Why am I doing this training? Um, and that's kind of uh, it's kind of the new era of soldiers. I remember in my early days, you just did, you just executed. But uh, the more buy-in to get, the 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 better off you're you're going to be for uh, that soldier taking that tangible. Uh, something that they are looking for away with them. So for us, uh, it, there's some stigma uh, around uh, what we call the axe camp. And then on the on the day one, we usually get about halfway through it, and, and that usually is squashed. Um, and uh, like Kevin Sim says, our, our guys are, are stretched thin too. I mean, they, they've just been at a crazy high tempo this year with uh, everything we've got going on and. And going from you know civilian life to being on orders to back and back and forth and and so having those resources that we provide for them ready available is uh, is huge. Uh, I honestly I can't wait to kick back off and get back on again. I know the Joes are uh, need it. Uh, they need that um, that that uh, those resources available to them. But it's the buy-in, Buy getting them the buy-in on what you're providing them and knowing that what you're providing them is going to help them, not only here and now, but down the future. I think that's a huge one, too, and uh, Kevin Sims touched on it. That future use for them is uh, is huge. So the, the takeaway for here and now is awesome and great, but them knowing that what you're giving them can take them beyond the uniform, 
I, I think that that's uh, second to none, to be honest with you, as far as what a, a state can provide when they're starting to look at building their programs. Captain Sims, if you could uh, just talk to the states and the, and the project officers a little bit about some of the intrinsic value of being part of uh, you know, this massive cultural change. I mean, this is really changing history in the Army, changing history in the, in the Guard. It's something that's never really been done or implemented on this scale. Um, and just talk about kind of what gets you going every day and fires up your passion to work on this project and, and maybe light a few fires out there uh, for everybody else that's working on H2F. Yeah, that's a, that's a huge piece. So uh, I, I just feel lucky every day to be able to be doing what I'm doing. I have a, I've been, I've been in the Washington Army National Guard for over 22 years. And, uh, you know, I have a lot of friends that are retired that, that are going through some, some challenges. I've lost a lot of friends either to suicide or to chronic illness that were national guard that, you know, are national guard members, retired national guard members, um, several friends I've deployed with, you know, have difficulty with a lot of the struggles that we would imagine with mental health and with obesity and chronic illness and musculoskeletal injury. Um, and it's hard, it's hard to see them suffer. Um, and, and frankly, when I started doing this, uh, years ago to try to help, uh, the military members I served with us, cause I was, I was sick of seeing my friends die. Um, and this, this population, as far as a coach goes, I've been coaching for 15 years and th this population is the most important to me. Uh, many, many of our members also serve fire or EMS industry. They're law enforcement officers, they're healthcare workers. So they carry that stress with them also along with this. And all of those, uh, the studies are very clear on the, 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 chronic illnesses that come along with that anxiety, depression, um, problem, problems with sleep, uh, hormonal problems, uh, metabolic disorders. And, and a lot of this, if this was available, I think we would be better. I think we would be stronger. I think, I think with, um, my, my people, uh, my tribe, my soldiers that I served with and, and military members that I know and veterans that I know, I think if they would have known this, uh, they would be happy and healthy and hungry for life and not in pain and not fighting anxiety and depression and obesity and chronic illness every day. And I'm not saying that's everyone, but that's why I'm passionate. I'm passionate to give this to our soldiers so that, that the time that they served, the, the, the time that they put in uh, meant something on the back end to them so they can toss their grandkids in the air. So at 70, they don't, anything but normal aches and pains of being 70 so that they can enjoy a long uh, life with family and loved ones, second careers, travel, hobbies. Um, and this provides it to them. This is, you know, go back to buy-in. I think people, when they see these programs, just think it's another military program that was made up. All of this is based on civilian strength, conditioning, nourishment, on performance, mental fitness, this has all been around for civilian populations. And, and it's specific for the tactical athlete. And, and we're able to provide that now. And it's being supported at the higher, highest echelons of the military, be able to make sure that you're psychologically, physically, uh, socially, and spiritually resilient 
for the rest of your lifetimes. But if you so choose when you're ready, you can walk into your grave. So and, and instead of, of having you know, a poor, poor part of that end of life, one way or another. But, you know, it's, it's just, it's rewarding to be able to provide that. That's what drives me. Do it and, and mean something. Nice to be part of something good. Yeah, I appreciate the backstory on that. And uh, sorry, and Casey, go ahead. Yeah, the fact that you're able to have a shot at just helping a soldier out every day fires me up. So uh, the fact that this uh, this whole program is designed to not just affect one but many, uh, man, that just uh, kind of like puts gasoline on my fire, to be honest. Uh, and uh, to piggyback off Captain Sims is uh, I think we all share – uh, some common things wearing this uniform, it, it, it gets heavy at times. And I think a lot of people need to understand that, that it's heavy for all of us, but if we're all in this together and we're all have these resources that are out there to help us uh, deal with them and, and that it's okay that, that you identify that you need to help dealing with them. And, uh, it, and everybody's walking and uh, living that same life as far as the holistic health and fitness and taking care of your, your body and your mental side of things. And, uh, and if you're struggling with something, it's fine. Like you seek that help and, uh, and, and you uh, change and be better for it going forward. Um, so uh, the, the fact that the army's decided that, Hey, the, the, just the ground and pound on, on our guys with, uh, you know, all, all this stuff that comes with it is, uh, is, is, it's important that as much as we go hard out in the field, that we also take care of ourselves on the, on the back end. It, it, we might go hard out in the field for, you know, an FTX for a, a couple weeks. And, and, but on the back end of that, we need some time to, to rekit, recoup, recover, uh, and, and then, uh, be able to recharge our, our batteries to go back out and do it again. And, and providing these resources, is going to help soldiers to be able to do that. You might sustain an injury out there, and and in some day in time, it's like suck it up, and, and you know it, it'll be all right. And then it's a lingering injury that just uh, causes other injuries. Where as far as these programs are out there designed to say, hey, no, we need to get that fixed and addressed, uh, and, and get you uh, back to one hundred percent, and then back in the battle again. So I think it's crucial. Uh, and it's it's very 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 important to me, and uh, something that I'm super passionate about doing every single day. And like I said, if you can just help one soldier out, then it's worth it. Um, and I, I've had the opportunity to help out. Uh, I, I can't even put a number on it. Um, so, but uh, yeah, it's just uh, really. I don't know if there's any words you can really put towards it that describes. <laughs> Um, how much it means to be able to help somebody like that out. Um, so, yeah, well, well, thank you both for coming on and sharing some of your experiences here and how you've taken this unique approach of implementing an internal H2F program and started leading the way with getting it off the ground. Yeah, and, uh, and from a, you know, like I said, uh, on a personal note, appreciate all the, the hard work you guys have done informing us on on what's going on there what you guys are doing and helping other states out as they do the same thing and and the army national guard is going to be a better place because of all the work that, that you guys are doing right now so we we sincerely appreciate that yeah thanks for having us so here we are again at the end of all this so 
we've heard like a whirlwind of information today from various subject matter experts. You know, I guess diving into some of you know what we've heard, what are some of the key takeaways that you would recommend to states, you know, that are maybe wanting to mesh some of these together, create a hybrid approach, or, you know, I guess what's some of your thoughts? I think, you know, the initial thought is for anybody that's working on H2F in the states right now to to kind of open their their minds and imaginations on this project. Because as you can see, these are, you know, multiple different approaches, multiple different, um, you know, ways of thinking about this problem and addressing the problems that they have internal to the state, but they're all getting to the same end state that works best for them. So, you know, you're not going to, to see specific, you know, somebody's not gonna give you all the answers to the test on this one. It's gonna be, you know, the answers to the test are, are within your state yeah. and in those numbers and in that data. And so, I, and will states be able to get some of that data from the other states, or like, are you guys publishing that, or how does that yep. work? So, um, all the stuff that we get from all the states is shared into the the H2F SharePoint, which uh, is you know shared across all the the project officers and NCOs and anybody that needs that. Obviously, feel free to reach out. Um, so they have access to that. So we're working on a way to quantitatively like analyze that data to show what the actual return on investment is. So. Um, that's coming as we're we're working through that process, but yeah, all that information is out there for the states to to look at and pull best practices from. Um, and the you know the next thing that I would say is is just um, you know determine really get into the process and and tackling and identifying what you need. So pull that data, get with you know look at the the health of the force report. The, there's an Army National Guard specific health of the force report, which a lot of people don't realize. It actually racks and stacks all the states against each other on, on wellness metrics. Mm -hmm. And you can actually go to your own state's page and see like, hey, here's how we're, we're doing. Um, additionally, you know, reaching out to your other branches and divisions within your state to pull data that they may have access to, whether it be through DTMS, working with your surgeon's office to look at you know, profile data, what types of injuries are we having? What types of issues are we having with height weight? Getting into that data and conducting an in-depth analysis on what the data shows and identifying their gaps that really become their requirements in the end. So, you know, hey, we have a we have this problem, we have this gap in in you know coverage or or um, you know tools for soldiers to use. And so now how do we fix that? And that is now a requirement for you to start your HF program. Once they do that and they go through all their gap analysis and they identify all those things, basically it's just analyzing how much is it going to cost, what do we need, and that is your state requirement when it's all said and done. Well, and I, feel like, I feel like it's hard, it's just like, it's kind of like leader development. It's like, mm -hmm. it's hard to sometimes draw the correlation between like, okay, we're investing money in this, you know, for, for a private company, it might be a seminar or like a coach or something, but it's like, mm -hmm. how are we deriving, you know, our, our in-state benefit? You know, I feel like right. H2F is in a lot of ways, some of the pieces of H2F are kind of like that. It's like, it, the correlations are challenging, but like the end result is, you know, you have a more healthy force. You have a force that wants to stay in the guard. You have a right. force where your people flourish on the outside. Um, so I guess, you know, t you know, taking that approach to it, looking at it, you know, I know we're working on developing resources through the H2F team here right. that are available to soldiers across the 54. You know, what are what is that biggest thing that you've noticed, you know, from all the programs that you're familiar working with that, you know, keeps coming up as a recurring, you know, challenge to be tackled? Um, I would say that 
a lot of times it's just getting, and Massachusetts hit on it perfectly, is getting that senior leader buy-in early and, and using that data to show what the issues are and then showing that there's solutions out there. And, you know, I think that if you can take, as you're working this this project in your state, if you can take your ego and biases out of it and just look at what opportunities are out there and what solutions may be available, go into it with an open mind, and then really ensure that you're doing it in partnership with your senior leaders so that they're part of the journey and with your soldiers. You know, we've, we've told the states that it's important to, and we've talked about it, get that user acceptance and, and soldier buy-in, survey them, ask them what they, hey, what would you like to see? What would you know be beneficial to you as a soldier in the Army National Guard? And use those two inputs to help create your program. And is this something that like the units can begin kind of initiating too i guess you know like like you know we're talking a lot about like the states implementing their program but like if mm -hmm. let's say i'm a battalion commander you know and have a good relationship with my local university is this something that like can be driven at the unit level to start to be like okay how can i you know start to develop these relationships to then you know work through a formal partnership with the state to be able to support my yeah. my battalion yeah and absolutely and, and i would say that the only advice i would offer with that is just make sure that you do it in concert with your H2F project officer and CO and, and ask for, if they've created a working group, ask for a seat at that table so that you can talk about whatever opportunities because they may not even be aware that you have that connection and or that there's a college that's in your your AO that that is willing to, to help out your unit. So I think that that's great and that that way you're, you're open to all these ideas coming in and there's cross communication and certain needs are getting identified at the unit level and I think that that, that would be a phenomenal course of action for, for any battalion commander. So the last piece of advice I'd give anybody working on H2F is just to, to realize the moment that we're in and that this is, this is history in the making for across the Army and especially for the Army National Guard because we've never had the opportunity to have something like this. So I would go into this project um, with that on your mind so that you can, you, you, you can literally be a part of history Take that very seriously. Be passionate about it, and uh, you know you're basically changing soldiers' lives, you know, for the foreseeable future. So, um, you know, I just hope everybody sees it that way and and uh, seizes this opportunity to to really create cultural change on a mass scale. Well, we're gonna do our part, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, uh... try our best. So thank you, Captain Short, for coming on, and I and I know that we're going to do some more series coming up soon. Hopefully, yeah, absolutely, we'll get some information published out with the podcast here to uh, get some resources available to soldiers or leaders across the formation. Yeah, so. definitely appreciate that. If you would like more information on any of the topics discussed today, please visit our social media pages in the links below. Tune in to Leaders Recon over the next few weeks as we bring in today's leaders and pioneers to discuss their experiences, share their wisdom, and help you grow as a leader. If you like this episode of Leaders Recon, please don't forget to subscribe below and leave us a five-star review. You can find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.